remember what the face-off movie cover looked like. Uh, it's the two of them. Oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. Looking and it's like a faded line, like a shadow. So you see John Travolta's. If you're looking at it, it would be John Travolta's face to your left, and Nicolas Cage's face to your right. Okay, I got an. I got a. Uh... Pretty sure. Is this yeah. is this a comparison to Superman, Batman Generations, and? Oh, uh... No, I, I was just thinking <laughs> of the thumbnail for the uh, the episode we just recorded. Wow, that's that's a deep cut. <laughs> Ain't it cool? <laughs> yeah, and by the way, it's ain't that cool. So just make sure if you. I was talking say, about the, uh, the the news outlet. Ain't it cool news? Yeah, like let's let's stay away from that. Considering the thumbnail from the last fucking episode makes me look like Harry Knowles. <laughs> I would prefer that to not ever be the case again. Just for men. Hope you edit. I don't know. I'm into the chicks too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I gotta say, like, oh, I mean, we'll get into it, but man, it's fucking, it's so cool seeing John Byrne draw these things in the style of the era they take place in. Like, he drew the Joker and made him look so much like the Silver Age Joker. Yeah, like the Neil Adams and all that. Like the Bill Finger. Oh, yeah. He's got the high rounded cheekbones with the long face and the the sort of flat pointy nose. Like his Miss Yet Spitlick is spot on. Yeah. Oh, I know, dude. And now you've only have you only read the first four? Yep. Oh, yeah. The the second one is is pretty good because it, it flushes out some of the stuff that we we know from the the first four the first series. Um, Twelve is like a mixed bag because it might it, it it goes on for a little bit too far, and I think it's one of those things where it may have benefited from someone helping craft it, or if they they did like two separate things and had John Byrne sort of overseeing it because it was his idea and had like other people crafting the story. Um, Cause it's just, it gets a bit muddled. No, oh. um, it involves time travel and apocalypse. You should, you should and kick stuff. us off Brandon, because this is all gold. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity strong sexual content and graphic language this show is intended for mature audiences only viewer discretion is advised Hey kids, it's time to check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. 
with over 30 podcasts that encompass everything from horror to video games to comic books, and so much more, you're bound to find the shows for your taste. Whether it be Nerds of Unusual Origin, That Strange Show, Retro Red Octopus, Splash Pages, Throwdown Thursday, The Horror Squad, Still Token with, my god man, I can't read all of these. So just feel free to play and experiment with the Dork Eating Podcast Network. There are over 30 shows chock full of dirty goodness to sink your ears into. And they're all available on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are broadcast. Yeah. Um, okay. Hey everyone, this is Powerful Brandon here, and uh, tonight we are we are uh, checking out Comics Paradox, and we'll be discussing one of my all-time favorite comic books, let alone Elseworlds uh, or or what ifs. It is uh, from DC. It is called Superman and Batman Generations, which was written and illustrated by John Byrne. Uh, it is uh, is actually uh, uh, an Elseworld that led to um, two sequels. Uh, the first one is what we're covering tonight. It was a four-part prestige format miniseries uh, followed by uh, Superman Batman Generations 2, which was also a four-part prestige format miniseries, uh, and then ending with a 12-part maxi-series, uh, regular uh, monthly issues, uh, all written and in, 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 uh, drawn by, by John Byrne. Uh, takes place over multiple eras, and the conceit... Uh, starting off uh, from from the word go in this is we have Superman, the last son of Krypton, having debuted in 1938 as the Metropolis Marvel. Uh, and then Batman, the Cape Crusader, the world's greatest detective, debuting in 1939 in Gotham City. And from those points, the DC universe ages naturally and progresses the way you would see time go forward in the real world. Uh, it's a very intriguing concept. It's sort of uh, dictated to me for most of my life how I kind of wish comic books had been approached. Uh, but enough of, of that palaver for me. Uh, I have my two favorite people to co-host this with. Uh, we'll start off by saying, hey, Justin, tell everybody how you're doing. Hey guys, good, good. Just got the omnibus, so I'll be diving into those next sections uh, for our next ones. But um, pretty good. Excellent. And uh, Mr. Leo Pond, say how's it? How is it going for you, Mr. Leo? Ah, uh, it's going well. It's going well. Doing okay. I, I was gonna say something witty, but I decided not to. <laughs> oh yeah, that's how that usually goes for you. You decided not to say something witty. No. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I Justin, you got the omnibus, which was released um, yes, over the past huge. year uh, in hardcover by DC. They finally collected yeah, this is all what, three. Twenty twenty two. Uh oh, was it twenty twenty two? Yeah. Let me see. Uh, that is a hefty book. Yeah, this is a big book, man. This is a this is a bug squisher. For yeah. if there's if there's any book twenty one twenty one Jesus. Yeah, one twenty two twenty one is the publication date. Yeah, I um I got it as soon as it came out, which uh because of my my deep and uh, abiding affinity for alternate reality comic books, um I have all of volume two, what if uh, all the singular issues collected. 
uh, and the same thing for DC's Elseworlds. Um, so I have all of these in prestige format and their singular issues, depending on which series it is you're talking about, one, two, or three. Um, and I still bought this omnibus, especially for ease of access. Like, you know, if I if I feel like sitting down and actually having the tactile sensation of reading these, uh, I'll grab the book instead of having to rifle through my long boxes and, and yeah, dig out yeah. the issues, you know? That, that's um, why I'm glad that they're doing that with the Elseworlds. They're actually a lot easier to get a hold of than the what-ifs, you know? And you, you got to yeah. make Marlon Steel or buy a loose issue on eBay or something if you want to get those. Yeah, well, you know, the, the tricky thing about the what-ifs uh, from Marvel, too, is the fact that they have done a very good job of compiling, volumizing, uh, volume one of what if, uh, what they call what if classic. Uh, and that is their very first go around on the, the concept. Um, they, they actually don't really have a, a, a good bead on Uatu the Watcher for a good portion of it. And they, it was such an unfamiliar format in how to tell that story that they didn't know how to approach it in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, we've covered a, a couple of those volume one uh, what ifs on this show to which I, I made a moratorium and you two are very well aware of it. Uh, I will not cover volume one. What if stories, if I can help it. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I find them to be just very bland very boring um and like i said they take forever to get to the point uh oh my god yeah yeah they they didn't understand that anybody who's picking up a what if they might have some kind of cursory knowledge about what happened already Uh, so it's you know with that being the case they didn't assume that they would be able to know what was happening so they had to explain everything as it actually happened before they explained what the actual what if was and when half of your story is stuff that you didn't pick up to read about it makes it tedious as hell (laughs) yeah you know um, it's not done as well too like you look at the art and it's like oh they got some schmuck to like draw this you know and it's it's almost like with volume it's like with volume two they they realize like oh we can have fun with this Whereas with volume one, it was, it was like mandated, like, no, you're going to do this. And it's like, okay. And I think business wise, some of the artists and, and writers who were tapped for it, they were just like, this feels an awful lot like double dipping. Like you, you just want to double dip on, on readers who already know exactly what happened in the story that, that you're trying to tell a variation on, like, why are we doing this? Don't, don't we have more important things to do? But I think when you get into the late 80s, early 90s with volume two, you have um, an injection of raw talent uh, throughout all of Marvel. Uh, I mean, we've we've actually seen like Rob Liefeld do work on what ifs. I mean, that's incredible to behold. And not only not only do we see him do work on a what if that uh for justin and i like it was was a beloved issue from our childhoods um but we were kind of thrown for loop not having seen it in forever and a day uh gang rob liefeld draws feet yeah 
big old oak skull. feet. And they look like feet, like mm-hmm. bare feet. Like it's not like a hoof style thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, hmm, maybe, maybe we should all cool with that fucking narrative a little bit, you know? Um, but yeah, the, 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 the whole concept obviously behind all this stuff is, is always fun. Um, and the fact that this particular, uh, Elseworld, Superman and Batman generations, it was conceived of and executed by John Byrne. This is a guy who made a name for himself at Marvel. You know, he, he did Wolverine, he did fantastic Four, uh, she Hulk and when it came down to it like he he was offered the chance to come to dc and reboot superman uh after crisis on infinite earths and he did just that and if you actually read uh man of steel numbers one through six that he also wrote and illustrated himself uh he introduces batman for post crisis stuff in the in those same pages and you can't help but notice like he actually has a bead on both those characters. No, oh, definitely. I, he, I have a, I have a book that's like uh, the, the history of the Cape Crusader all by burn. And it's a small like paperback style. That's all illustrated all the way through. And I mean, that was where they introduced him and uh, Joe chill, yeah. you know? And, and it's like, what? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely a, has a beat on him. It's, it's amazing. And, um, you know, I know that John Byrne, he he loves Superman. I know that uh, just from reading about him, his his exposure to these characters when he was a child, uh, he was he was born in Britain uh, and then moved with his parents to Canada, where he was he was raised uh, through the rest of his childhood. Uh, when he was a young boy, though, in, in Britain, I think he said maybe seven years old. Uh, that's when he saw one night on the television. A black and white uh, program and it it had this man dressed in this suit and it was George Reeves and the show was the adventures of Superman and it just absolutely blew John Byrne's mind and he was hooked from that moment on and uh, regardless of of anything else that <laughs> he has done or said outside of his comics because John Byrne is a bit of a hothead um, he he clearly like knows these characters and i feel like for me personally like he had the same exact thought that i've had over the years like what would it have been like if we had gotten these characters to just age from the 30s on what would the legacy of these characters be how would who you know you get you kind of get into like an old testament thing a bit like you know this superman begat you know, Supergirl who begat so on Batman begat yeah. Batman Jr. Who begat Robin who begat. So, on. you know, how does that, how does that line up? Um, you know, there are little things like you get a green lantern that shows up at one point here, but the green lantern that we see is the same green lantern from the thirties. That would be Alan Scott, who is not a member of the green lantern Corps as We were introduced in to in the sixties through the silver age with Hal Jordan. Well, this is Alan Scott, a guy who found a meteor that fell to Earth and felt compelled to carve a ring and lantern from them and then use the ring to, you know, fight crime. Um, 
And but we see that there's a legacy involved with that later on down the line. And it kind of lines up with like what we had going on in comic books at the time that this was was published. Um, but that being said, uh the it, it's interesting to to see how John Byrne starts it off and to note as he goes through the different eras, uh, we see we see it done in blocks of, of decades for the most part as as the four parts go along. Uh, John Byrne has a very signature style uh, all his own, but amazingly still emulates to the to through his through the filter of him the style of the comics that these characters were in in the 30s and 40s. Um, yeah, it looks like a Rocketeer book or something, you know? right? Uh, and then the giant uh, Electrox robot, I mean. That smacks so much of Fleischer. Oh yeah, yep. It's ridiculous. Um, I well, do even uh, the is that that's not supposed to be a Luther, right? Or it is. That's the ultra humanite. Like even him, uh, you know, looks like the the mad scientist from uh, Fleischer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and and that's that's the thing is. Um, he he leans into some iconography. Like we see the bad guy here, the mad scientist who's doing this, and like he's a bald guy, he's got the strong jaw. You're like, okay, that's Lex Luthor, right? Um, but no, it's the ultra humanite who is a very old school um villain, and he actually does feature as the as a pretty primary villain in another else world that we will be covering before the end of this year called the Golden Age. Um which makes sense because we are right now talking about golden age comic books, the thirties and forties going into the fifties. Um, but what's, what's noteworthy is like that guy who is talking with the ultra humanite that, that henchman in the suit, that is a henchman that he with red hair that keeps getting referred to as L E L L. And uh, we, I mean, if you know anything about the, the history of Superman or anything like that. Uh, Ultra humanite says to this henchman at one point, you know, you idiot. Have you learned nothing since I plucked you out of the small, smallville juvenile detention home? Like, Oh, okay. We know who this is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, now all throughout this, uh, it's like a world's fair, but it's in metropolis, not Chicago or what have you. Um, Bruce Wayne has touched down with his girlfriend, uh, Julie. Uh, and that's we don't get a last name on her or anything like that, but uh, they're they're looking around at all this different stuff. He flew his own uh, private like auto gyro. Yeah, auto yeah. <laughs> the seven thirty auto gyro to Metropolis. I can't find auto gyro or Prussia. Z <laughs> from Ducktales. Oh yeah, it's a <laughs> good one, Mister McD. <laughs> hey, Mister McD, that's a good one. <laughs> oh look and because we're owned by fox now it's hercules <laughs> i mean we're owned by disney now it's hercules what what do you mean we can't use them but what's the point of disney buying us if we can't use any of the characters all right who can we use launchpad mcquack uh, you know what i am i'm just exhausted exhausted by being told no all the time <laughs> so, sorry i <laughs> Sounds like a I, good I, episode. <laughs> I actually watched like 
five minutes of a Family Guy episode for the first time in probably six fucking years, and it was that, and I almost pissed my pants. Like, I I lost it. Um. Anyway, so we have Bruce touching down, and this whole thing with uh, Electrox uh, from the Ultra Humanite is attacking the World's Fair, and then uh, just as this thing is about to crush Julie, Bruce's girlfriend, uh, we have uh, Superman show up and it's very very much in vain like lining up with how we kind of think of the 30 superman just a the red triangle with a small s in the middle of the chest um otherwise the suit does look the same as how we picture it now the yellow belt red trunks red red boots um that is not exactly how superman's suit was in 1938 1939 his boots looked more of like a uh greco-roman gladiator-esque uh strap style um he didn't have a yellow belt it was it was black um and the s was it was actually you know just yellow field with a red s that's it um nothing fancy but i do appreciate the short cape i i will say um and of course superman's just like hey i'm gonna crumple this up and throw it out of the way and uh then as everyone's marveling at him he jumps away he leaps in uh, a single bound no no flying for that guy because you know he can only jump about one eighth of a mile back in the 30s which i kind of do appreciate in this story it looks like when he first shows up like his power set isn't quite what it becomes because he hasn't reached that level yet um and then we get uh bruce skulking around as the batman going through and uh he finds clark and lois investigating at world's fair and he's he basically grabs the uh evidence that the two of them have have uh found (laughs) he he might as well have said yoink (laughs) i know uh, right uh i do appreciate that very vaguely very vaguely you can see uh in that shot right there uh in this in this shot where batman has his cape spread um he has a gun on his hip you see that is that a gun or a lasso that's a gun i'm like i can check right there that's a lasso in this book oh is it a lasso in this one. Oh. So it's yellow, actually. Where? On his Please? on his hip on the left side. Uh, right there. Oh, is are we sure it's a lasso? Uh it is in this book because it's yellow like like a uh, rope. Hmm. Okay. And that is the only shot in this entire book of that. What a what a crazy uh crazy big utility belt too yeah with like the uh almost like a medallion on the front yeah um and still like the there's just like the miniature capsule looking compartments um i i could have stuck with these ears that he has because i i think it's cool the way they come out like kind of angular so I, i'm okay with with those like from the original design and hmm. i mean it definitely went to like a, a better place but i never minded that i thought it was kind of cool yeah, it, uh, I I enjoy the way that John Byrne draws the cowl all together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that once again, he, this is a direct translation of the 1939 Batman. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and I, I do appreciate that even though he's, you know, he's got him designed exactly as, as he would have been, uh, he stayed away from the purple gloves and he gave him more of a, a light blue colored glove. Um, and, Whereas the rest of it all lines up like dark gray, dark blue, the way that it, it showed up initially. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people may not us, but, you know, may not a lot of people out there may not realize that when Batman first showed up, um, he had this like wider set cowl with his ears and everything and his fucking gloves. They they, they were like the same color as the Joker's suit. It was, yep. it was just a weird choice. I mean. Quite frankly, it's still a better choice than what Bob Kane wanted to do before both fingers fixed it. Red and yellow, yeah. Oh my god, what a nightmare. Just like a bat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I wonder too if they did that so you could actually show uh things in his hand like batarangs and and pistols and stuff like that. Because purple would look different than black and maybe. And I I wonder if that was just a coloring limitation too. So you never know because it i don't think it lasted long i think it only lasted it at most a year yeah i don't think it lasted long either but you know seeing seeing it like the way it is here and this it's like why couldn't they have done like a lighter blue and this is a shorter cape too actually now that you mention it yeah you can see it's it doesn't uh, seem to go down as far as it's actually shaped more like bat wings too Mm -hmm. like you see when he's when he spreads it you know behind his back and stuff um so it kind of gives the uh, appearance more of wings as a, as opposed to a cape. But uh, yeah, Batman chops Clark Kent in the neck to try to knock him out. And Clark Kent goes down like a ton of bricks. But then, you know, uh, Batman is <laughs> is hanging out after he watches him leave the the museum or whatever the hell it is, the exhibit house. And he's like, yeah, you can play it as smooth as you like, Kent, but I'm keeping an eye on you. You went down easily enough. Hitting your neck was like punching a steel girder. It's like if anybody knew what punching steel girders would be like, it's it's Batman, I guess. Um, yep. I I do appreciate too that um you know we see that Bruce and Julie are at the hotel room and she's kind of like uh you know where the hell did you go last night? He's like oh you know it was all this crazy stuff happening. I needed to walk it off. And uh you know they're getting ready to have breakfast. Whereas we see. Lois and Clark in Metropolis, like walking down the street uh, after they leave a diner. Um, and Clark's just like, I don't see how you can get through your morning on a bagel and a cup of coffee, Lois. <laughs> to which Lois replies, and a cigarette, Kent. Don't forget the cigarettes packed with nutritional value. Mm-mm. Uh, and then she actually makes a, makes notice, makes a mention of this. Uh, but what about you? It seems like those Kansas-style big breakfast you pound down would put you to sleep for a week. I have a rapid metabolism, Lois. Now, shall we get to the fairgrounds? Like, yeah. Clark Kent would absolutely eat like a fucking asshole in front of everyone all the time. Like, when you don't have to worry about cholesterol or calories, like, yeah. That's the one thing. Like, I always feel like if Superman were to straight up lose his powers, he would become a fatty so fast it would make everyone's head spin like that blue suit would be really testing the limitation of its stitches anyway (laughs) so they get to the fair and uh they're all looking around i did think this was kind of funny um that 
long car in front of them that seems to have caught Bruce's eye. Yeah. Doesn't it look an awful lot like the Batmobile from Batman 89? It does. And um, I, I think he was pretty much obsessed with it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> spend another hour and a half looking at cars. And he's just like, but but it's beautiful. I want to go to that. And uh, yeah, Lois and Clark are going sneaking around. They're looking for all kinds of stuff. They find some henchmen of the ultra humanite. And, uh, you know, Bruce kind of. So awesome. What's that? Lois is so awesome. Yeah, she. I tell you that shot right there of her kicking that dude in the in the chops. Look at her profile and tell me that doesn't look like Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I thought with the hair it was pretty obvious, but yeah, yeah that is like one hundred percent. Like I have I have expected her to to like start quoting the Philadelphia Story or Little Women. Certainly not on Golden Pond. That's yeah, yeah. We're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, we're, that's we'll a very there. different. We'll get there. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. She gets this like kind of straight crane kick up and knocks one of the uh, guys out when they're trying to grab her. You know. Yeah. Well, and, uh, did he try to sweep the leg? Yeah, he tried. <laughs> and uh, you know they 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 both they blow through. They grab her. Um, Bruce Wayne is trying to do his thing, and this young kid. Uh, sees them and he's like, "Hey, that's no way to treat a visitor at the fair," and uh, kicks one of the henchmen. And of course, it's little little Dick Grayson. Yep, because they did have a poster that showed that the Graysons were one of the performers there for the fair. And uh, Batman is going around again at night, and he starts punching people out, and he drags somebody all the way up to the top of a a building and does his awesome, yeah, does his normal thing. And the guy's like, pull me up. He goes, tell me what you know. Where is the ultra humanite hiding? I can't tell you. He'll kill me. Fair enough. There's a one in 40 chance you'll survive the fall from up here. <laughs> and then he just lets him fall. I love it. Just lets him fall. Please, no. Isn't it great that there's like this weird sort of telescopic view of like they show us how high he is on it? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, this is what it looks like up close. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then all of a sudden you see, and I love this once again, like you can see like the movement lines that John Byrne gives Superman. He grabs the guy as he's falling, but you can see that Superman grabbed him on the uptick of him jumping from the ground. And he is now landing right where Batman is. Like it's it's looping up, not coming coming down from flying up. Uh, and Superman's just like, careful there, fella. You shouldn't even be working up here this time of you, Superman. If I had known you were there to catch him, I wouldn't have let him fall. <laughs> and then Superman's like, well, if I had known you'd let him fall, I wouldn't have caught him. And the guy's like, what? No, I'll talk. <laughs> and uh I, I do I do like the fact that they decided right away, like, okay, we're just gonna work together. Like fast friends. Um and the guy explains, like, oh, HQ's under Prosperity Plaza, and like there's no place called that on, on any maps. And they realize it's the model of Metropolis of the Future, and Prosperity Plaza is part of it. And they sh they shat like shacked up underneath this model in the building that's where ultra humanite and the rest of them are uh 
they take them all out and uh there's a rocket that the ultra humanite tries to use to get out of there and superman stops it by throwing a thing at it i can what the hell was it it's Some weird it's of... like to the obelisk and it's yeah. like the uh the freaking washington monuments taking off like yeah. subtly oh no one will miss this <laughs> and then uh it blows up and they're like well maybe that's the end of the ultra humanite or maybe it's not and uh they see like a, a bit of the red hair that we saw. And it's like, uh, Lois says that's the same color as one of ultra's henchman's hair. The one called L and Superman's like L plus a red wig. Is that something Superman, something from a long time ago, Batman and something I'll probably never have an answer to now, but come on, we'd better go tell the park officials what happened to their centerpiece. I think I'll let you do the talking Superman. And uh, they jump ahead 10 years from that point uh, to 1949. We have uh, Joker with a, a pregnant Lois Lane holding her hostage. Superman busts through and um, Joker pulls out some kryptonite to screw with them. And that's when Superman grabs the kryptonite. And Joker's like, but you, this is impossible. You shouldn't be able to do this. And uh, that's when Lex Luthor shoots him in the back with, uh, I don't even. What is that? A Luger? I, yeah, I think so. I think it's it's funny because it looks like a laser gun or something like that, but it's a bullet. Yeah, which looks we'll like, find uh, out soon. It's Megatron without a sight. It is. <laughs> and this uh, is bad cop. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Are you a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books? Then Epic Tales from the Sewers is a podcast for you. We cover the comic books, video games, movies, cartoons, and anything else turtle-related. We talk about the toys, we talk about the cereal, we talk about all the fun things about turtles that we love so much. So give a listen. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Check out Epic Tales from the Sewers, part of the Epic Airways podcast network give a listen dudes cowabunga is this podcast for you buddy <laughs> and the, i mean this is like such a such a late golden age verge of silver age thing uh lois goes to Superman as he's lying there with his his bullet wound and lex is like i knew this wasn't superman his invulnerable skin still would have been enough to protect him from my bullet even with kryptonite here and pulls off the Superman face, and it's Batman with cowl and everything underneath the Superman mask. It's like so ridiculous. And um, then, uh, then we actually get one of those like uh, fourth wall breaking things. Confused reader, don't be. Everything will become crystal clear in due time. And for the beginning of our answer, we must first look back in time a period of some 24 hours to the famous underground headquarters of Gotham City's most famous crime fighter. And uh, then we get a very cool, elaborate-looking Batcave 
with uh, all the, you know, some of the fun stuff. We definitely have a giant Joker card in there. I don't see a, a dinosaurs underneath pen. it. It's it's not green. It's brown. Oh, where oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, I see it. The very bottom part under. The oh, yep. Part. Okay, yep, yep. I was literally just gonna say I don't Nothing see a dinosaur right or top, so. big penny. Yeah, yeah, but I don't there see the big it is. Penny either, yeah. Um, but then uh, you know, Batman's lamenting that uh, Dick Grayson is getting ready to head off to college, so you know, he's he's not really gonna be able to be his Robin any longer. Uh, and I thought this was cool. Like we didn't get any of the teen robin dick grayson stuff however we see the uh encasement of the original robin costume and dick's like no 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 i'm still around i'll help with this one don't worry bruce and we see how after 10 years robin like updated his costume and man this is a good costume this is they pulled directly from the fact that like tim drake was an overall improvement of the the robin design when exactly, he first showed yeah. up and it makes perfect sense that over time even dick grayson like 10 years into it like he would probably yeah want to start wearing something with fucking pants you know um but it yeah very it, similar to the the first uh tim drake for sure yeah i love i like the the r symbol on it too i like how it's just like kind of a hand slashed r uh, instead of the over like overly bubbly cartoonish looking r it almost looks like a g you know from from this uh yeah i can see that i can see that but um you know they they go and they're trying to they're trying to figure out what's uh what's going on here they you know uh master dick's i mean master dick yeah dick's gonna help bruce they go to see uh commissioner gordon who is actually uh Jim Gordon's son, Tony Gordon, um, who doesn't, who is reluctant to work with, with Batman, uh, because of the fact that it was only, uh, Batman's endorsement that seemingly helped get him elected to become commissioner. Um, and you know, they're, they're, they're checking on, uh, the, this break in for precious metals and, uh, there's really nothing of financial worth that's been taken, but Batman looks at the list. He's like, ah, oh, crap. I think I found one thing and there's only one person I know who would want this. And, uh, they're flying in the, the bat wing, which is damn impressive considering this is 1949. Yeah. Um, and as they're, uh, as they're flying, Superman catches up with them. He's flying outside. And I actually got a kick out of this. It sort of reminded me of um, like the Superman Batman movie. Uh, that oh yeah, yeah, the animated and, one. Yeah, and where Batman, like Superman, is able to um, imitate people's voices and stuff, and uh, they see that Lois has been kidnapped by the Joker and Lex Luthor, and it brings us right back to the present at the beginning of the story. And it says, which brings us back to the here and now. And we see Superman looking with his x-ray vision into the, the lab where Batman just got shot in the back after Joker pulled out the kryptonite and Lex Luthor popped out. And Superman is is narrating to Robin, to Dick, everything that's happening. And you know, like Lex Luthor's talking, Superman, there's a, a, a 
a line from each one of the word bubbles going from Lex Luthor and Superman. He's going, and return the kryptonite to its lead container. I do not want Superman killed when he finally arrives. To which Robin says, that's way too creepy, Superman. You don't have to do Luther's voice when you repeat what your super hearing has picked up. <laughs> Which I just I, I I get a big kick out of that because uh, it's only it's been few and far between where they actually play up the fact that Superman actually does have a really good ear for impressions, and uh, he can change his his throat so much that he can sound almost exactly like anybody if he chooses to. Don't they also bring up super ventriloquism at some point as well? Not in this. Not in this. Yeah, thankfully that would be a bridge too far. Um, but yeah, they they have all this going, and uh, you find out that um, Lex was looking for a particular element, and at the, in the same almost the same location where this was, the Joker was be actually being held in a Soviet uh, work camp, and um, he killed two birds with one stone basically uh told joker like he'd help free him as long as he helped him get this small piece of yellow metal and he would they would both be able to take out their nemeses uh and now superman pops into the lab and you know they're uh they're he's like oh you diseased maniac blah 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 um you know all the normal shit they actually i think they actually do have um What is it? Gold it's kryptonite. Not... Yeah, no, it's gold kryptonite, but there's this. Uh, I thought it was in here, but it it must be later on in in the in the thing. But John Byrne paraphrases Superman the movie at one point and uh, tells Luther that he'll mold the mold the box into the bars of his prison cell, which yeah. is exactly what. Christopher Reeves Superman says to Lex Luthor when he sees the box with kryptonite in it. And um but yeah, they <laughs> I, I love I love the term mere mortal. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Uh and the fact that they they say it a couple of times in this is great. But um they basically say like, "Oh, you know, all I want you to do, Superman, is just expose yourself to this gold kryptonite I have here in this little lead line safe, and then everything will be fucking great. Mm-hmm. Granted, it will take your powers away forever and ever, but hey, at least Lois will be alive, right? And uh, then all of a sudden, he he melts the, the box with heat vision, and it turns out that the Superman who came in the second time wasn't Superman either. It was Robin in a fucking Superman mask and costume because why wouldn't it be? And uh, that's when Batman stands up and knocks the Joker right the fuck out. And uh, they realize... That's a weird-looking panel right there, too, where he's throwing a punch. I wasn't sure if that was meant to be, like, his arm underneath, but it kind of looks like Batman has breasts. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Well, you know, it's just, just his pecs are mighty. The bat rack. Yeah. <laughs> the bat rack. Is it that, or is this supposed to be like his rib cage or something? It's it's just kind of a weird position yeah. of, of very defined oblique. Yeah, it's like it is it is the oblique, but the 
you know, it's like a three quarter turn. So it's like his head should be a little bit different, you know, it gives uh, a weird illusion. As it turns out, um, they, uh, they realize like the green kryptonite, it, you know, they checked and, you know, Superman's like, Oh, let me see, make sure that the exposure green kryptonite didn't hurt the baby. And, uh, you know, of course, because of X-ray vision and everything, they know that they're having a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when Superman looks at his uh, the baby's atomic structure and it's been permanently realigned. The baby was exposed to the gold kryptonite in utero, which means that this kid is now going to be born completely human. The the human son of Superman and the Lois and Clark at that point, they're like, well, we can never tell the kid that you're Superman then because that's an inferiority complex that would be absolutely debilitating. Um, that would suck. <laughs> that would absolutely suck. But um, yeah, they As witnessed in the Disney movie Sky High. Yeah, right. God. Um, I actually watched like two episodes of My Hero Academia. Oh, uh, yeah. Recently. Yep. And uh, I'm watching. I'm like, okay, yeah. So sky high. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's... Uh, it's it's a little different than that for sure. It's but it 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 does kind of line up, you know, a little bit. I'm on season five. It goes deep, man. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and you know, we get a, a brief thing with Julie talking to uh, Alfred at the end, where uh, she's like, "Oh, when do you think Bruce is going to be back?" He's like, "Oh, I'm not quite sure." I'm sooner rather than later and she's like oh good i really want to talk to him and we can see that she's uh knitting booties knitting a teeny tiny baby booty Uh, bat booty what bat booty bat booty (laughs) yes and um you know we we just jump right into uh the 50s in the next issue which uh deals with some crazy shit like a house coming to life like becoming animate and superman turning into a gigantic green monster uh because of red kryptonite radiation the whole thing being like red kryptonite was uh the the symptoms of of which were always erratic and never the same uh and always took 24 hours to wear off after superman was exposed um so that happens. Uh, we see that in the years since uh, Lois and Clark have had another child, uh, a daughter, their, their son, they named Joel, which I thought was a very clever way to name the kid after Superman's Kryptonian father, Jor-El, Joel Kent. Um, but then they have a daughter, a little towhead, and uh, they name her Kara. And Kara comes up to her mother, who's smoking a cigarette in front of the television. Yep. And um, she's oh, like, "Mommy, and look!" And a smoking ad on the TV too. Oh yeah, smoke supers and uh, super cigarettes, cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. and uh, chock full of vitamins. And Kara's just like, "Look at my feet, mommy. They're not touching the ground." And Lois is like, "Oh well, shit. <laughs> That's not great." Um, and I do appreciate that we see uh, Superman talking with Jimmy in the interim after the whole red, red kryptonite stuff wore off. Uh, Jimmy's been losing his hair over the years. He's going bald, uh, still wearing his loud checkered coats, which I do appreciate. Like that is a motif uh, throughout the series. Like 
Jimmy always just dressed like that his entire life, gave no shits um, with the bow ties and everything. Uh, and we see that Batmite is there in Metropolis and Mixie Spitlick is there in Gotham. And uh, that's bad news for both <laughs> Superman and Batman because the whole thing with Mixie Spitlick and Batmite is they're pains in the ass for each one of the characters respectively because they are actually like the universe's biggest fans of each one of them. Um, and it's sort of one of those things where uh, if you're familiar with DC comics at all, you know, you have like professor zoom uh, like, or zoom, I should say not professor zoom, but zoom like Zolomon Hunter, who his whole thing is like, I need to make sure that the flash suffers tragedies because it's only through personal tragedy that he's able to, to define how great a hero he is. It's sort of the same thing, but in a goofier way for Batmite and Mixes Spitlick. Like, like, like fan worship, you know? Yeah. I'll make, I'll help, I'll help him prove that he's the world's greatest hero by doing this thing that he can fix. You know, it's, it's like if you gave a seven year old, the ability to quote help their favorite superhero. Sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. Yes, fucking wish him away to the fucking cornfield, man. Um, but yeah, so we find out that this alien race uh has enlisted Mixus Spitlick and Batmite to test each one of the heroes. Batmite for Superman and Mixus Spitlick for Batman, so that way they can't help their hero win. Uh, and whoever the stronger of them is, the alien race will take back with them to help liberate their species from like the war that is being uh, perpetrated upon them. From essentially uh, Thanos. Essentially, yeah. I mean, it's kind of what it looks like, right? And uh, well, it's kind of a mix of Thanos and Hulk. Looks like maybe Calabac. You don't think you don't think these things are a little reminiscent of the Skrulls? Like skinny, non-ridged chin scrolls. Yeah, and uh, sure enough, the Thanos uh, pastiche there, who is purple with the ridged uh, chin, you know, um, he does kind of resemble him. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and so they they only had enough fuel and materials to make one ship to travel to Earth. And that's where they made this determination. They plucked Mixes, Spitlick, and Batmite each from the fifth dimension where they're from. And that's how they came up with this idea for the challenge. And, uh, of course, Batmite is going up against Superman, uh, pulling things like, uh, you know, essentially like the the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon, like Attack of the Gila Monster. But, it's I mean, it's, it's clearly supposed to be like a 50s schlock monster from a billboard. Uh, meantime, we have Kara still floating in her house, and Lois actually gives her a necklace with a red sunstone on it, which um, emulates red uh, sunlight radiation, which temporarily negates Kryptonian abilities. Uh, so she gives it to Kara, tells her she should never take it off. Don't tell anyone why you're wearing it. Just say it's a gift, and it means a lot from, from me, and uh, you'll be okay. And that covers Kara's having abilities so you know not not much they have to worry about at that point and i do appreciate that her abilities like 
developed slowly and it wasn't she was born with superpowers mm-hmm. um that's one thing that i will say john byrne did for the character of superman which um has thankfully been the case since that the 80s um before john byrne did the post-crisis superman he as soon as he like landed on earth he started to like develop superpowers as like a little kid and with john byrne's thing uh his cells were solar batteries that started drinking in you know yellow solar radiation and over time reached a saturation point where they developed his abilities um so slowly but surely over time he got stronger and stronger and that's what we're that's what kind of seeing with Kara there uh meanwhile we jump to the back cave we see that uh bj bruce jr who yeah. is a who is uh blonde as, as blonde can be uh he is robin and he's wearing like the original robin costume like sans leggings and what have you and where's the bear bj and the bear <laughs> It's more of a robot than a bear, but <laughs> and um he's not gonna address that. Okay. No, I'm not I'm not saying a fucking thing about it. Uh and you know, BJ is just like, oh man, I can't wait to you know be a crime fighter, just like you know, Uncle Dick and, and Dad. And Alfred's like, Yeah, maybe you know, who you jets there, hot shot. <laughs> I don't think your father wants you out there, really. Noticeably and, older Alfred, too. Yeah, I, I will say that. They, he does a pretty good job of showing the passage of time. Uh, and what's happening is each one of these uh, challenges that Batmite and Mixie Spitlick are coming up against, coming up with for Superman and Batman, uh, Mixie Spitlick is giving Batman challenges that Superman would be able to handle because of his superpowers. But Batman does not have those powers, so he has to be a lot more creative, a lot quicker. Uh, and Batman and Superman finds himself having to think around corners a lot more because Batmite's going with the more cerebral stuff uh, in in tandem with the the fantastical crap that these little fifth dimensional imps can pull. And uh, they keep they they actually get to a point where they're each one of their creatures that they're pulling forward to test the heroes come up against one another. And they start arguing with one another about how their hero is better and they deserve to win. And that's when those aliens show back up and they're like, wait a minute, you two are way more powerful than Superman and Batman. We'll just take you with us so you can help us. And they, they lock them up and throw them in the spaceship and bring them with them all the way to the outer edges of the galaxy. And Superman and Batman are like, all right, cool. You don't have to worry about those two jerks anymore. And that's that. Like they they leave. And uh we we have them kind of like, oh man, we'll have to repair a lot of the damage that they did to each one of our cities. But you know, working together, we can get it taken care of. That's what we do. Um, at least, you know, we're kind of back to normal for right now. And that's when we see uh little Joel Kent outside of his house, like fixing his his bicycle, being approached by Lex Luthor saying joel kent don't be afraid boy i have something important to tell you but aren't you lex luther and uh we jump to the 60s uh it's 1969 and uh we have 
essentially the Justice League uh, in Nixon's office. Yeah. And uh, we it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, The Flash, Barry Allen, The Flash, I would assume. Uh, classic yellow boots. And uh, Green Lantern, but it's it's Alan Scott with the the cape, the long collar, the red shirt, red boots, and um, you know Nixon's just like you know go go take care of this Vietnam thing, and they're like yeah, uh, no, like well yeah, go exactly. <laughs> he's like well then go take care of all these protesters, and <laughs> once again like Alan Scott's like uh, no, they they have constitutionally guaranteed right to protest like we're not doing that they're opposed and one of them was like they're opposed to this war of yours and uh you know Suman's, you know he's like then do something about it do something about the war Haroo! Haroo! and uh Suman's just like uh you know i don't think it's that easy mr president this is a world war ii and the bad guys are not so clearly defined like fine then just leave I remember that every American boy who dies from today on will die because you did nothing to prevent it. <laughs> oh, okay. And then they bring in the mash unit, and that's where BG is with Hawk. You know, Leo, that would almost work, except for the fact that mash takes place during the fucking Korean War. It was right before this, yeah. Yeah, like the like, day before you like, just like, missed it, like fifteen <laughs> years before this. But e for effort, buddy. Oh yeah. Um, Thank and you. I do, I do appreciate the fact that you know uh, Nixon says that shit, and Alan Scott is like, "Wow, excuse me," and Batman's like, "No, no, no, just let it go, dude. <laughs> just, just walk away. He's the president. Like, we can't kill him. I know you want to punch him in the face so fucking hard. We all do." Just, just let, let's leave. Let's leave. <laughs> it would be funny if they said something like, "I hear he's got wooden teeth. Let it go, Alan." <laughs> because, because Alan Scott's weakness was wood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it's kind of cool. They they all leave. Alan flies off. Uh, Barry runs. Wonder Woman. We actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. Actually, you do see it. Uh, she has her invisible jet. You see it taking off just above the Whirly Bird. Uh, yeah, I see it. And that's the thing is like, yeah, Batman has his whirly bird, <laughs> which I love because when, first of all, I think the fact that he has like this miniature helicopter is fucking ridiculous. Oh, I this, really yeah, do. Like the chair helicopter. Oh yeah. yeah. But it's I so love cool. that they've always referred to any sort of helicopter apparatus that Batman has, whether it's just like the chair or if it's actually the small helicopter, it's always been the whirly bird. Always. And uh, that saying that out loud uh, gives me no small source of amusement. So thank you for including the whirly bird, John Byrne. Um, and we see that um, Clark and, and Bruce are talking about what's happening. And uh turns out that Joel, uh, Superman's son, Superman, uh, Clark and Lois's son, he is he is in the army. Uh, he he enlisted. And he's actually fighting overseas in Vietnam. Uh, but that's, so that's not exactly Bruce, though, is it, Brandon? Um, is it that is, is this Bruce that is, here? That is Bruce. Yeah. Okay, I didn't think that was Bruce here. Yeah, that, no, that's Bruce. Um, I mean, he Suman even says to him, he's like, uh, enough about oh, my okay, troubles, okay. though. What about Bruce Jr.? Is he still insisting on serving? Um, 
but you know, Batman says like, yeah, he doesn't see how right, how it would be right to let Bruce use his influence to keep him out of the draft. Um, Oh, maybe, maybe you're right. You know what? That is Dick. You're right. That's Dick. That's Dick Grayson as Batman. My, my apologies. I was thinking in in the, like down on the page below, which, yeah, I mean, like for all the listeners here, this is one of the most like seminal issues because it really leads to everything else from here on. So it's like, this is, this is the tipping point. Like yeah, we're 30, we're 30 years into these two characters having met for the first time. You know, this is 1969. The the very first uh, chapter of this was 1939. So a lot of time has passed. A lot of things have happened. Oh, yeah. Friendships have been forged. Uh, enmities have also been forged. Uh, and we see here that two years before this point, uh, Alfred passed away. And uh, Bruce Sr. is sitting by his foster father, for lack of a better term. Uh, is interred and he he's just talking you know still kind of regarding alfred as his his listening post and um this is where it gets a little like okay what the fuck but this lines up with the 60s and the comics and everything the ghost of of alfred is talking with bruce and like this doesn't mean it's actually the ghost of alfred uh, more just the representation of him in Bruce's own mind. He's trying to rationalize and, and just like work his way through uh, his issues. Um, like I said, Alfred was always the person who helped him see reason and would talk him down. So it makes perfect sense that Alfred would be who he visualizes and has this quote conversation with to, to work his way through stuff. Um, and, you know, he's worried about what's going to happen to his son uh, you know, he, he doesn't want him to die fighting overseas. And, you know, of course, like, you know, just what's going to happen with, with the city. I'm not Batman anymore. I'm too old to do it. And, and all that. And, uh, you know, just the fact that he's proud of Dick and how they've been able to convince people that he's the same Batman and that he just hasn't aged, which, uh, I think is pretty cool. It, it, I think without, being implicit it shows the once again the far-reaching um influence of lee falks the phantom mm-hmm. uh for the character of the batman uh it, for lee falk people who aren't aware of lee falk the phantom was a comic strip for a very long time uh the phantom also known as the ghost who walks uh his his alter ego is kit walker and he comes from a, a lineage of men who have taken on the mantle of the phantom and when one dies the next person in line picks it back up and continues on so that there's it always appears that the phantom is a ghost like he can't be killed um it's a it's a very cool concept uh it's been executed incredibly well in a lot of different comics uh the movie starring billy zane is a fucking joke yeah uh like it's fun. It's one of the defenders of the globe. Um, you yep. know, Mandrake and Flash Gordon, and the lion guy. Yeah, um, the cowardly lion. But <laughs> the cowardly. <Yes. laughs> <laughs> um, Look out for Ming. <laughs> Dorothy, <laughs> the knife. Um, was there a Phantom cartoon as well? Tw- there the was Phantom a Phantom cartoon, yeah. Phantom Twenty Forty, which. 
lines right up because in Phantom 2040, that is the most recent iteration, the most recent person in the kit in the Walker family to take on the mantle of the Phantom. Um, you know, I and mean, they made it's like a Genesis Genesis video game and Super Nintendo, which had oh, like Nintendo. 36 different endings. Wow. Yeah. It, how, like, how do you know what the good one is? It had 36 different endings. Yeah, which that's, is the good one? That's my answer. I okay. I, I don't know. Um, I never I never I played it briefly and I never came close to beating it because it had 36 different endings. Man, I rented Flashback and beat that one. That took forever. So you can um, do that. I mean, but but the the thing is, like, there was also a um original cartoon as well. So you had the the. It was also a Defenders of the Earth uh, yeah. cartoon yeah, yep. that had phantom flash gordon mandrake the magician a couple of couple of others too um but... i prefer mumford the uh, mu- magician oh my god uh but without getting too deep <laughs> into the phantom lore or anything and it is a, it is a cool character um it, it really is a character that is sort of that in-between space for superhero comic book character and pulp fiction character um sort of falls right in line with like the shadow around that era um but uh the phantom was a huge influence on uh bob kane and bill finger uh particularly in the design of batman uh because lee falk who created the phantom uh, wrote and drew it he was fascinated by greco-roman statues and he designed the phantom with a cowl uh no pointy ears or anything but a a full cowl and a domino mask attached to it right the domino mask didn't have pupils yep and he did that designed specifically on his fascination with greco-roman statues because he was like it's so crazy that they never had eyes what he did not realize and a lot of other people did not realize for a very long time is that Greco-Roman statues did have pupils. They did have irises and pupils, but they were painted on after the statues had been sculpted. That way, the color of the eyes could be more accurate for who the person was. Uh, But over time, the paint faded over the centuries so that what you're left with is the white marble or what have you that they carved the statues from without any of the coloring or design work that they did with brushes after the fact. So what you get is this strange pupilless look that emanates forth from all of this artwork. Um, and it was so intriguing to Lee Falk that he figured like, if you were going to have someone who was trying to intimidate people and make them think that they were otherworldly, this would be a great way for them to look. And Bob finger, Bob Kane and Bill finger, completely took that from the phantom and applied it to batman so that look of batman not having pupils is all because lee falk didn't understand that greco-roman statues used to have paint on the eyes so that one that one's for free kids stick that in your trivia (laughs) chest um but yeah the fact that there's a legacy involved here uh, it is funny to me though that um dick grayson 
goes so far as to help uh, shore up the idea that Batman is one person who has just been unaging. But Robin is a, a blonde dude wearing like the original Robin costume, not even like the, the, you know, the full leg newly Tim Drake esque looking design that Dick Grayson eventually started using. Like I have, I just ha- have a hard time believing that no one would realize that this is the son of multi-millionaire <laughs> Bruce Wayne senior. Um, but the whole thing is they're going after this, uh, this criminal calling themselves Joker jr. And uh, they're going to visit Joker at Arkham Asylum or the penitentiary, whatever it is. And they're seeing like he's there. He's older. He's he's started like losing his hair and stuff. Um, and he's, he's he looks like hell. Yeah, he's locked up, and they just can't figure out what the fuck is going on. Um, and we cut to Lois visiting her doctor. Kara's in the waiting room, and um, that's when the doctor says like, "Hey, you know, um." listen, it could be years before you pass away. We have therapy and there's potential remission. And Lois is like, yeah, um, no, I'm good. And, uh, you know, this, as they're walking out, Kara's, like I said, in the waiting room and this, the receptionist is just like, Oh, when shall I schedule your next appointment? Mrs. Kent. And Lois says, you won't come on, Kara. I need a ride home. And you see Kara's face. Kara looks like somebody just pissed in her Cheerios. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I love, I I love the look of Kara as Supergirl. Uh, she, she has blonde hair regularly, but she wears a wig as Supergirl to make her hair dark. So she looks more in line with her father, Superman. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the fact that she has gloves as Supergirl. Like, it's just a cool look. It goes very well with the boots that she wears. Um, I, I like that how the uh, the cape connects directly to the edges of the the pentagonal shape of the S, the shield. Yeah, uh, reminds me very much of the Eradicator in the '90s when they did the whole uh, Reign of the Superman thing for the Death and Return of Superman. Uh, the one thing, and this will always be something that sticks in my craw. I fucking hate mini skirts on Supergirl. Absolutely hate it. I, I just, I will never like. If you wanted to give her the mini skirt, that's fine. I don't understand why you couldn't have just given her like blue leggings right underneath that, all the way down to the boot. Like it's weird, and I, I just don't like it. I, I, I Do you think I it, it could be a choice by her to want to like embrace a small bit of femininity? Maybe, but I mean, this is the I mean, 60s, and I, I feel totally like, like, I feel like, like, like with her mom, I feel like with her mom being Lois Lane Kent, and it being the 60s, like, there'd be a little bit more feminism involved altogether. And not only that, think about, not just her mom being Lois Lane Kent, but think about the fact that her father has likely been friends with Diana Prince yeah. for probably, like, 20 years. Um, I just, I just feel like, you know... This isn't, it's not a terrible design, but I just think if you took her legs and colored that area blue, the same as her, her shirt, it would be a better look overall. It would be more practical and it would continue the, the color scheme altogether. I don't think, I don't think getting ready to go out on the fucking ZZ top legs tour. (laughs) 
even though she knows how to use them? I mean, she's got legs. She knows how to use them. I mean, technically, um, but she is flying but most you, of the places. But you have to. But you have to remember all the fucking jerky perverts out there who are just looking for some tush. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. With There's a lot of ZZ Top shit happening here, kids. <laughs> With their cheap sunglasses. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes sense that she'd emulate her father's uh, costume uniform as much as possible, mostly because every girl's crazy but a sharp-dressed man. <laughs> to that I say, ah-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Uh, and then we see that, um, you know, uh, you know, Lois, Lois, Lois is just like, you know, I suppose I should have known better for smoking cigarettes after all these years, especially after I saw what the cigars did to your uncle Perry. It's so um, funny that, that, that was the cause. And it's like, it was so blatant and people are so like, Oh, I can't believe she's smoking and, and all that. And it finally pays off. You're like, Oh, well, I think that was actually very smart. I like um, it. Yeah. No, it's, John it's interesting. And, and once again, it kind of ties into a little bit of that Superman the movie thing where Lois Lane was a smoker initially in the in that movie and Superman actually like looks at her lungs and he's like, you're actually okay so far, but you should probably stop. You know, mm-hmm. that's, oh, that's, that's a good the point. Whole. Yeah, there are a lot of allusions then to the, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, funny enough, if you actually look at Joel Kent, Oh, perfect. Right here. That um, lower right hand panel. Tell me that he didn't model Joel Kent almost directly on Christopher Reeve in that fucking that illustration. Yeah, he's got his nose for sure. Yeah. Like that's that's 100 percent like exactly the same thing Gary Frank did in Secret Origin as written by Jeff Johns. I do Um, love that Gary Frank artwork. Yeah. Gary Frank is 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 oh, an amazing man. artist. I I really like him. Um, and I I like when he works with Jeff Johns. I just think, you know, sometimes the the sum isn't as great as its parts. Um, there's a lot of good things in Doomsday Clock, you know, and there's there's some things that aren't so great. But I mean, I was just happy that they invited Firestorm to the party. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're trying to relate the entirety of the DC universe to what happened in Watchmen as based on the Charlton characters. Sure. Um, but if you're looking for a, a, an actual sequelization continuation of what happened in Watchmen uh, as written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Dave Gibbons, you should probably, if, if you're in the mood for watching a thing, watch Watchmen the limited series from Dave and Lindelof on HBO. That was uh, really good. It was fucking superb. And I can't think of a better way to have ended it. The, the way that series finished up. Um, and I'm glad that they were just like, Nope, that's it. We're not doing anymore. It, this is the story. I'm like, that's good storytelling. That's fucking excellent. You, you no, none of this David chase fucking, fourth and four seasons of sopranos and like oh well we're gonna end it yeah but we want to give you more money so make another one like oh well then i guess we're not gonna end it no 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 hold on to your principles tell your story don't don't fucking roll over because they fucking brought a goddamn truck all the way up to your goddamn door filled with money like you know 
wheels and zeros are the same thing, right, kids? How many, how many, how many zeros are on that truck? It's a lot of wheels, baby. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and if you if you want to, and we're gonna cover this once we actually we Watchmen is 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 one of my white whales for this show. We are gonna cover it. I want to get it this year, but once we do it. I'm going to I'm going to hopefully blow some people's minds because I do have a sequel series for us to cover that is not from DC but absolutely involves everything that happened in Watchmen and shows the logical continuation of it. Um but regardless of that uh we see here that Joel is is in Vietnam overseas and he's actually just becoming like more and more unhinged the longer they spend time there. And he goes in with his men and orders them to slaughter a village. And the village is just filled with women and children and one old man. And uh, it's, it's a fucking travesty. And these guys are just like, we're not listening to anything this guy has to say anymore. And they, they shoot him in the back. They leave him for dead. And, uh, and they were across lines in Cambodia, not even in uh, Vietnam. So everything they were doing at this point was illegal to begin with. Yeah. Um, so we uh, we have that we have that going. We uh, we see like the number of dead people. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Leo. <laughs> like, what's going on, Leo? Um, and we come back to the Batcave uh, after that terrible. Uh, scene and uh, see that <laughs> BJ is really raring and ready to go to take over the Batman mantle. And I do think it's cool that Barry Allen gave them uh, the compression stuff to put a suit into a ring so they could easily have like <sighs> instant bat suit. Mm-hmm. Um, but my God, look at the fucking hair and mutton chops on Dick Grayson. Isn't that crazy? Oh it's like uh, Sebastian Shaw. Yeah, that's literally, <laughs> which, I mean, it's John Byrne. So, yeah. of course, you know, the very, very first thing I thought when I ever saw that was, this dude looks like he should be in the Hellfire Club. <laughs> he, is, he probably is. Yeah, like right? Bruce, Bruce Wayne would most definitely be in the Hellfire Club. Um, And they, they go, they're following a, a hint from Joker Jr., um, they go to, meanwhile, Batman's going to do that. Dick Grayson and, uh, BJ is Robin. He's going to, uh, the prison to see the Joker again, see if he can get some more information. And they find that the Joker's not there. And they find that he has a bunch of like makeup and, and spirit gum and what have you. And they're like, what the fuck? And, oh, it does say spirit gum too. Yeah. It's for attaching a fake beard or wig. And, uh, they see that he has uh, plans for the, the diamond exchange building where Dick was headed and uh, he gets in there, Dick. And all of a sudden there's just like a series of traps and the area he's going down, it turns into essentially a slide filled with razor blades that Ugh. actually like cut him to the bone, which I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Fucking just awful. And you see him when he comes up, honest to god like dick would have lost fingers at that point like there's just no way um and he sees uh joker jr and uh he's you know behind like glass and uh 
Joker Jr. You know, uh, he's what is he? He says to him, he's like, uh, he's like, how did you do this, Joker Jr.? It must have taken years to set up this scheme. He goes, almost ten years, Batman. And he goes, ten? That's six years longer than Joker Jr.'s been around. And he says, don't strain your brain, Bat Boob. It's going to get hard enough to work that particular organ as it is. After all, I coated those blades with a neat little cocktail of hallucinogenic drugs, which should be kicking in right about now. And oh boy, does it get real fucking trippy. Yep. And um, yeah, he can't he can't do anything. He, he can't see the forest for the trees. And he drops them into a bunch of giant pies and then a bunch of guns, a bunch of like automated Tommy guns pop up and they just fucking waste dick they they he murders him straight up just riddles his body with bullets um and bj makes his way in as robin and sees dick's body lying dead and uh meanwhile joker jr comes out and he's like well i've accomplished my life's ambition you can go ahead and lock me back up and he pulls off the wig and everything. And he's like, yeah, it was me the whole time. I was just pretending to be my kid or whatever. And here we go. And he goes, yep, I killed Batman. <laughs> Alert the presses. Tell everybody, you know, and uh, spread the word like wildfire. And that's when you see. And I love that uh, for the Batman voice that BJ uses here. Um, they put they make the word bubble in the shape of the bat symbol. And BJ is just like, no, as usual, he's lying. He didn't kill Batman. He killed Robin. To which BJ put on that that suit that he had in the compressed ring that Barry Allen had given him and put the Robin suit on Dick and covered his face with the cape and carried him out. It's a crazy part of the story. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I thought something was going to happen, but I'm like, wow, that was so thought out. It was like such a, a crazy Joker plan. Yeah. Ten fucking years, too, man. Yeah, the, the whole thing with, like, uh, the building and the plants and all that, just to, like, such a long game. And I'm like, wow, that is that is absolutely crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, to yeah. just, like, a, a, a the level of focus that that would even have for planning something ten years in advance. That's like a Rachel Ghoul plan. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, but I mean, not only planning it, but you know, building it and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, buying the building and all that. Yeah, totally. Everything. Yeah. Yep. All and, this uh, while intermittently locked up at uh, Arkham or Blackgate or whatever. Yeah, and making like figuring out that he can come and go, you know, like and say like once I realized like I could leave and come back, the best place for me to be was the prison because you never suspected it was me the entire time I was here. I'm like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's dangerously clever. Um, yeah, that's that's like the the Riddler from uh, One Bad Day. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Into those levels. I I I like a shrewd Joker. I do. Yeah. I, I I think I think shrewd Joker is far scarier than unhinged Joker. If that makes sense. We we kind of get a touch on that in Three Jokers with the original the the criminal. Because there's yeah. the criminal and the comedian, the clown, and all that, and it's like that original one is kind of this character, yeah, so, 100%. which lines up. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, but we, you know, we we come upon uh the funeral for uh Dick Grayson, 
and uh, Bruce real Bruce Jr. BJ realizes like he he's like I can't enlist. Uh, I need to be Batman. Dad, I'm gonna need you to pull strings because I need to be here. And you know, he's like it, it is. It's more necessary for Gotham to have Batman than for the army to have me right now. And you, uh, you been in college, you know, like based on this age. <clears throat> maybe yeah. maybe i mean 69 isn't, isn't that what kept the guys in animal house out of the draft was going to college i'm trying to think when when did we see that she had that little baby booty thing was it the end of issue yeah 59 i think so maybe he's out of college at this point 59 no, no, 15, no, because 59. What? Wait, when? Hold on. When was when was she? No, 59. He would he would only be 10 years old right now. Oh, OK. Just, yeah, I've, I know I've read the comic before. Jerk. Jeez. <laughs> um, 49. Four, yeah, it's 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 got to be. Yeah, it's 49. Yeah, Family Matters, 49. Okay. So, um, yeah, because what's his name would have been, uh, and, and Luther showed up there, and, and Joel's in the end of the one after that as, as like a 10 year old. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, yeah, so he'd be probably like 20 at this point, which is weird. Oh, maybe, maybe 19. Because if it was 49, she was only just starting to sew that sock. Um, so, I mean, let's say it's 50. He's he's like 19. He's 19 years old. Maybe just turned 19 um, or so. And, um, yeah, he's basically like just at the age where he would have he, he would have either had to go into school or enlist. Now, the reason we're spending so much time on this for all the listeners is because John Byrne has a certain way of drawing male characters where they're indiscriminate of age. Like when when you look at them, you could tell because they have like like gray hair or something like that. Every character has the same sort of square jaw and looks like it looks like a, a 30 year old man. Yeah. Know? like bodybuilder and stuff like that they all do have like these faces granted this is batman batman son superman superman son, stuff like that but i mean realistically you're looking at all these characters and you're like that's a 19 year old you know Dick yeah Mason is a whatever i'm like even robin looks like a full-grown man yeah like, yeah exactly like well also the, back then people looked older that is true man you ever look at yeah. like high school uh, students yeah. from like the 80s you're like, what the hell? They got 40-year-old students here taking You should see a picture of Sam Cooke, the singer Sam Cooke in his 20s. He looks like he's fucking 48. It is <laughs> it is nuts, dude. Like, I saw a photo of him. I'm like, man, he, he got ridden hard and put away wet a few too many times. Huh? Put away wet. Yeah, he's, he's like... <laughs> Christ. But, um, yeah, so regardless, uh, they, they have this... Um, they have this funeral. BJ realizes he needs to take over the mantle of Batman. Uh, and Kara is in college. Uh, they actually say, you know, like, you know, don't be sad about 
you know, what BJ's plans are right now. Um, he loves you. And we, we all know that go ahead and finish college like you planned. And by then she's like, maybe the world would be ready for a Batman and Supergirl team up. You're right, mom. <laughs> uh, which I do love the fact that like they grew up together and like, they fell in love like Kara and BJ, like they're, they're stupid for each other. Um, and they get home from, from all this and I'm sure this the, will end well. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They have a, an orange envelope yeah. from the military and uh, it's to uh, Mr. And Mrs. Clark Kent, which uh, we apparently get their address 27 Wilton Ave in Metropolis and uh, September 22nd, 1969 is with great regret that we inform you. Your son, Joel Perry Kent was reported killed in action September 13th, 1969. Uh, so yeah, Joel, he, he died fighting in Vietnam overseas. That's, uh, that's the army's story and they're going to stick to it. Joel's a piece of shit. I'm just going to say it like, and, um, what, where, where I'm going to go with from here is that the, the biggest leap that I have to make in here is that we see one tiny block of Lex Luthor saying, oh, uh, I've got something to tell you, Joel. And then from there, Joel in Vietnam being the biggest, utter murderous piece of crap. And all of this is supposed to lead, you know, to like this huge character change from him. I'm like, so he grew up resentful and all that because of this. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, that's that's the whole part for me. That's the big leap on this. Like, oh, my Joel God, is an utter piece of crap. But like, yeah. Oh, my God. I just realized uh, in the in the next issue. Uh, when it shows uh, that in 1979, uh, the announcement for the engagement of uh, Kara Kent and Bruce Wayne Jr. Yeah. Below their announcement and to the left. You see what it says? Miss Vernick and Mr. Gibney. Oh, is that uh, Sue? No, Gibney. Who's Gibney? Ralph. I thought that was Dibney. Oh, wait, you're right. You're right. Sorry. We're recording this late, kids. My bad. Yeah, um, yeah and isn't it Cramden? Ralph Cramden. <laughs> hey, Ralphie boy. There's fucking mutton chops on some of these people. That dude underneath. Yeah. Dude. Wayne Jr. My Look God. That. That's uh, Jason Wingard. Mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> like, now, now to confuse the Phoenix. <laughs> like, My God. Yeah, You'll I be mean, the Black Queen. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> the so, world according um, to do you guys do you guys want to make this a two parter? Is this yeah? Well, I, I don't have a problem with that. It's book three. Yeah, this is book three because we can do three and four next. You know, because I mean we we just covered a good amount, but it's it's been a couple of hours, and uh, I got to clock into work in <laughs> fucking three and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we got enough meat on the bone left. I just want to leave you with this. Uh, Joel Kent is a piece of shit. And just remember that going into whatever you do in life. Yeah, so. Joel Joel Kent, I mean, he, I will say this. Like, we, we got, like, like you said, a very small snippet there where Lex Luthor clearly was up to no good. Mm -hmm. um, but oh. he, the well was poisoned. Yes. 
I wonder if we can make any parallels. Well, obviously we can with him, uh, with Joel and uh, Commissioner Gordon's kid. Because he turned out to be an actual. Piece oh, jeez, oh, yeah. Oh. Depending on which one you're talking about, James, James yeah. Jr. or whatever. Oh, the Woo. psychopath or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know enough depending about on the that continuity. Comment, yeah, so. because there there is a Batman Digital Justice where he becomes you know Batman in the future, but then there's the canonized version where you know he's also a serial killer, very Martin. similar to Lois Griffin's brother, played by uh, Martin Mull. The fat um, people killer. <laughs> but uh yeah, so we'll we'll leave it with uh books one and two here, uh, and then cover parts three and four for generations one. Um, because I mean there's there's just like a lot of stuff to to go over and, and talk about as we're going through it. Uh so far, I mean, you guys you guys in enjoying this you, you you like what oh, we've yeah. been seeing oh it's a great story dude a- absolutely well, the good. the whole concept really well executed and the art is is top notch yeah the art's amazing story's awesome love it yeah i think i think you if you like we've all done you read it and experience it for yourself uh and you hear me say like you know i've i've been in love with the idea of this story mm-hmm. um and how it was approached for a very long time like I, I sincerely, you know, DC Comics, they did uh, a series after the new 52 started called Earth 2. And it's just one of those things, like, even now, several years later, I'm like, I don't see why they couldn't do, like, a, a Generations, like, imprint where we we have, like, a whole reality of of comic books that deals with like this kind of thing like superman shows up in 38 batman shows up in 39 how does that move everything forward from that point i think you know you get some people on it other than john Byrne. so you have a bunch of different ideas people collaborating and working on it together you could come up with some really amazing stuff which it they can just have fun with it it doesn't have to worry about how it affects canon or anything because it's creating its own and um you know i just i want it to be how stuff is or at least have it have it be an option who would who would you want to draft to um to either write or um or do the art would this be a gary frank project you know i would love to have gary frank involved in some capacity but my first my my first um pick for writing is Tom Taylor. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tom Taylor would be my first cool. pick on that. Um, and just, I mean, because of the fact, like, I mean, I, I think she's just incredibly talented anyway. Um, and I think it's, it's such a rarity. I, I to have a, and, and not because of lack of talent. It's, it's because of opportunities given. I'd like to say that um, I, f- I feel like we need to see more women artists heading up these large projects, um, not just because of the fact like, oh, you know, give women an opportunity, but because they don't approach all these characters with an over sexualized point of view. Um, and just from the fact that I enjoy her artwork, she's super ultra talented anyway 
but also she came up with a bunch of alternate designs for characters because she was the main artist on earth two for the new 52 nicola scott oh yeah no that would be cool yeah and i am wildly aware of the fact that the two people i picked are australian (laughs) yeah but yeah tom taylor and nicola scott they would be like my my go-to right off the bat like take this framework and flesh it out and you know you you come up with your bible or whatever but then segment it out how many like keep make make three different titles or four different titles right and they're all just monthly and it's all just under this generations imprint you can have one be superman and batman you have one be justice league and then two more that cover other aspects you know different facets of this legacied universe uh and construct your team from that point like who else works on these books with you who do you collaborate with that would that would be my approach uh i would keep jeff johns uh jim lee any of those other names that people think of automatically when it comes to like bigger folks for writing and drawing as far the fuck away from this yeah. as possible. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. And I and I would say the same thing for Jeff Loeb because Oh yeah. Just just because they would want to do their own thing. However, yeah. I would Mark say Wade. Mark Wade. I would keep <laughs> yeah, see, you you already knew where I was going. Yeah. I would keep Mark, I would say Mark Wade would be a good Mark player. Wade would be the person who I would I would personally pick to do the justice league one cool you know but i also think mark wade is talented enough and can work collaboratively enough to say like hey you kids you kids are doing this let me come in i'll 100 let me help especially because he is for all intents and purposes a dc comics historian and that's that is an asset to be utilized when you're doing such a thing. Like how do we approach, you know, and and that's the thing too, is you can do little spurts. You can, because you're going back to the thirties with these characters first showing up, you can do specials that take place in different points in time. Uh, We are getting a thirties Batman in a couple months. Uh, Batman first night uh, by, um, I just had it up. Uh, Dan Jurgens and Mike Perkins. Oh, cool. Yeah, I cool. was just reading uh, something that has been on my desk for a long time. Generations Forged ah. by Dan Jurgens. And uh, the, the thing about it is you, you can't really see it, but uh, there it is. Batman uh, from the 30s who has yep. that sort of angular look. And the, uh, this one has the pistols and the uh, and the purple gloves. Yep. But that is all Dan Jurgens art. You know, Dan yeah. Jurgens art and Dan Jurgens writing. Another guy who very similar to John Byrne, um, very, J- very Superman guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. I mean, he's the guy who illustrated Superman 75, the death of mm-hmm. Superman. Yep. Um, And he's also a really, really nice guy. Uh, we had we had a great interaction with him. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. Uh, and he almost handed me thousands of dollars worth of artwork for free. I know. I, I mean, I, I would have felt I was, weird. I never would have taken that. It was great. I was, I, I was able to tell him like how much a fan of Booster Gold I was at, from a when I was a kid, uh, when I first discovered him in Who's Who in the DC Universe, and you know, I was just like, you know, I, I just had a chance to do that, and I, I don't usually 
uh, have interactions like that with with writers and, and artists. Uh, but he was like so he was just so nice, so kind. Um, but it yeah, good. it was a good interaction. You know? Yeah. And he uh, not he, but uh, that Generations Forge thing that actually came about because of the the proposed 5G uh, story arc that was going to be wide ranging throughout all of the DCU. Uh, and that's when Dan DiDio was uh, editor in chief of DC Comics. That's and how com- long this has been sitting there. Holy crap. Yeah. That came about because of 5G. That's the remnants of what the 5G story was going to be. Yeah, and this is this is no joke, too. I mean, this is Mike Perkins, Art, Marco Santucci, Paul Pelletier, Norn Rapamound, Joe Prado, Colleen Doran, Brian Hitch, Dan Jurgens, and Kevin Nolan. And that's in yeah. writers are uh Dan Jurgens, Robert Ventiti, and Andy Schmidt. So yep. um I mean well, Robert Ventiti did Hawkman. Don't hold that against him. But <laughs> but here's here's the thing, um for for what I I I propose, you know, like I say, like make it an imprint. You know, don't have it take place of of what is set in you know canon. Instead of we, a black label, you do a gold label. Yeah, just and do, it's golden age. You do, know, do the G label. Yeah, yeah. whatever whatever's clever. Um, gold label could yeah because it starts back in the golden age i'm down with that you know um but you can play around with that all together uh but if you try to make a canon that's when you're gonna butt heads with a lot of people because it's really not fair to once again negate oh yeah everything because you're gearing towards one story arc that could easily be switched around again in seven years uh, but if you make it a separate imprint and you have fun with the different titles in it and, you know, it doesn't have to go on forever. You do it for a few years and you reach a natural stopping point. That's fine, too, um, because it, DC's it w- the only one you really can't go back and look at like pre-crisis stuff and say, well, what if that continued? It doesn't really work that way, because then you've got final crisis, infinite crisis, that kind of stuff where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that stopped. Well, but, does it but, still matter like this? No, that stopped. You know, it's but like- 5G uh, as proposed by Dan to D and what they were working on and became like generations forged and stuff like that. Um, it turns out that the idea was essentially what I'm talking about. Cool. It was, it was taking all these characters and showing what their legacy was, was from the moment they arrived and how it progressed naturally. Um, once again, I think as a separate thing altogether, you need know, to like earth Two from the new 52, how it was separate. It didn't affect anything else. You were able to read it and it was self-contained. That's the ideal for a story like that. Um, and enough people got wind of what was happening and it, it put the kibosh and essentially ended Dan DiDio's career as editor in chief at DC comics. And that's because I think he had the right idea, just the wrong approach. Um, and, and I think, this is this is absolutely something that a lot of people could really really enjoy um and it's also the kind of thing that could really help dc comics in the next like 10 to 15 years because you know what happens in like 14 years right uh you get a uh, uh, mickey mouse taking over uh you know <laughs> public domain <laughs> you have superman 
as he appeared in 1938, entering the public domain. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they've done enough over the years to change his story and look that anybody that tries to do anything with a Superman who looks like that and can only jump and doesn't have any of the other powers and you can't use kryptonite or nothing like that. Um, they've worked on branding enough that people can look at him and be like, well, that's a knockoff, you know, but they still need to like develop and progress things so that they have more to go and fall back on as time moves on. And I don't think that there's been enough forethought on that over the past, like 50 years. You know, like 50 years ago, like, oh, that's 50 years from now. That's future people's problem. I'm sure they're more concerned with marketing and and who can put the Superman symbol on sneakers or jackets and stuff. So, you know, they're probably more concerned because that's more profitable at this point. But uh, I I really I really feel like there's there's a gold mine within the 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 confines of this story Uh, and the fact that nobody is tapped into it wholly and completely yet is mind-blowing to me yeah i would i would throw in the hat there um ron mars for a legacy green lantern i think that would oh be, yeah that would be that fucking would be my great pick. so yeah you know what that that would be great that could be one, one of your three books because you could do green lantern core yeah and have it be like what that means in that world how does that start with alan scott on earth but then relate to what the green lanterns are in throughout the universe, the galaxies and the universe. Uh, because I feel like it would still very much be like the, the green lantern core that we were introduced to for silver age insofar as that, but on earth, it's sort of like that fist of the guardians thing with guy Gardner, Mm -hmm. like Alan Scott, I feel would like lead to Hal Jordan would lead to guy Gardner would lead to, John Stewart would lead to Kyle Rayner over the, over the decades in uh, that red shirt that he wears, like that would end up becoming like the fist of the guardian uniform, you know, where you see that red shirt and all of a sudden you're like, Oh no, no, no. That's the green lantern. You don't want to fuck with because they don't have any of the shit that holds them back. Like the rest of the green lantern core. Yep. You know, like, they would keep it very hush hush that his one weakness is wood. You know, you send him in with, as a secret weapon and people are like, Oh, it's fine. As long as we have yellow, we can do anything we want. And then he shows up and they try to use yellow and they're like, uh, okay. We may not have thought this through. Yeah. There's altogether. no wood in space. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, so that's interesting. I, yeah. I think, I think that would be really cool to see how, how the ideas of Alan Scott as green lantern as as he developed the weaponry on earth gels with the guardians of the galaxy seeing him and being like wait a fucking minute like we have a green lantern in this sector who the fuck is this you know that could ron mars yeah that would be amazing just don't let him fucking fridge anybody i don't think that i don't think that was his idea so i think that was actually someone else was it well yeah but yeah yeah, none of none of that nonsense. So yeah, and uh, then at some point find something for Gail Simone to do because I, I love yeah I, yeah I was thinking <laughs> about that too and I'm like yeah she'd be cool too so but yeah you could you can go anything with this like you could do Blue Beetle you could you could do like all those be like oh here you go Justice League I mean the the only one that would be near impossible is 
uh, John Jones, the manager of Mars, who would just get older, <laughs> yet look the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would, I, you know, I feel like I feel like you could probably find you could probably find a way to do that, and I I would have absolute confidence in like Tom Taylor, Ron Mars, Mark Wade, Gail Simone, all being able, and, and Nicole Scott and whoever else coming up with the finer points and the finer details like John Jones. Yeah. Maybe he, he doesn't like fight like full on as Martian Manhunter, but maybe he actually is still the guy who takes care of how the justice league operates altogether. You know, he, he comes in and he's your non bad guy, non scummy Maxwell Lord type character. He's the liaison between them and the government. And he's the perfect person to do it for the justice league because he can read minds and he knows exactly who's on the up and up and who's not. And that's why the government is always like, you know, uh, straightforward with the justice league because they cannot figure out how they know when they're trying to pull dirty shit. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. I just came up with how they would do it. Yeah, I just don't know if it's as compelling enough to give him his own series, but oh no, God no! I don't want him to have his own series. But he would I, be I a major. Think... He would be a major player in the Justice League yeah. series. You yeah, know, that's, as, that's... as a secondary character. It's like it's like Doctor Strange. Don't give him his own book. Put or him Hawkman. in something and let him do something. Hawkman yeah. should show up in a panel, and then you're good. So yeah, <laughs> like just, just to remind look, you, it's Hawkman, and he's got something to say. Moving on. You know, <laughs> hey, look, it's Hawkman. What's he up to? I just stopped by to grab one of my baby Ruths. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the baby Ruth. I thought it. <laughs> yeah, um, but looking forward to seeing Hawkman in the next uh, iteration of this uh, Generations uh, 2. Not in the next episode that we're going to do, but I, I peeked ahead and I saw he will be in the second series. So yes. I'll be looking forward to that. There's a lot of fun to be had with this. So I, I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it so far because it's our lives for <laughs> the foreseeable future. Um, Anything is better than the Millerverse. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is the totality of it. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, this is Comics Paradox. Uh, you can uh, check us out on comicsparadox.com. Uh, go to Good Pods, uh, any place where you know fine podcasts are broadcast. Uh, you can check me out on social media on Instagram at this Brandon has powers. Uh, check out the Instagram page we have for this uh, at comics paradox podcast uh, on, I think we were on X formerly known as Twitter as at comics paradox podcast. I'm on Twitter as well at Brandon's powers. And uh, aside from that, you know, we have any number of, of, uh, different podcasts about what 40 plus i think on the dorkening podcast network uh which yeah, is a bunch yeah you can go and check them out on the dorkening podcast network.com uh and that's a that's enough from me i'll let these two guys uh give their valedictions we'll start off with uh mr justin cooper Hey everybody, you can check out my show. It's all about Ninja Turtles. It is called Epic Tales from the Sewers, a TMNT podcast where we will actually read through the stories and do some of the vocal characterizations or uh, we'll have someone cool on and turtle related to uh, actually interview. The other uh, show that I have is called Generations Playlist. You can check it out where we go through a genre or we go through an artist and uh, pick out a customized playlist uh, for you on Spotify. 
excellent and uh mr leo what's what's the deal here tell us tell us what's going on and say goodbye uh yeah yeah hey uh so what's going on is we're closing up the show uh and uh yeah just head on over to the dorkening.com a lot of awesome people doing a lot of awesome stuff uh for me just google me i'm everywhere i'm even on blue sky now so uh look me up there and uh yeah that's me awesome well thanks everyone for listening and uh we will catch you on the flip-flop for the continuation of generations part one uh and you know we'll move on from that point so far so good all right thanks everyone be there <laughs> or be square or be not there <laughs>